Thank you, Nigel, and good morning, everyone. It's nice to be back with you. Now, a very, very brief resume. For those who may not have been here over the last two Sundays, John is speaking to the early church in this first letter. The early church is going through difficult times. Heresy has crept in. Relationships have broken down. And John, the warm-hearted, loving disciple, writes this letter to, to encourage them, to teach them, to lead them back to the truth which had been revealed to them. Let's turn to the last chapter, not only this morning, but in fact today. Chapter 5, and we'll read the first 13 verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. And everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. And his commands are not burdensome. For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit the water and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it is the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar, because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. This is the testimony God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. And we thank God, indeed, for his word. Now, I want to speak this morning on spiritual burdens and uh, basically how to get rid of them. Again, let's have a little resume very quickly to see where this fits in. I believe that the epistle of 1 John is centered around three statements which appear scattered throughout uh, the epistle. And John keeps coming back to these three Ideas or principles. We find the first one uh, in chapter 2 and verse 5. And each of them have something in common. He talks about something being made complete. If anyone obeys his word, God's love is truly made complete in him. Truly made complete, we mentioned once or twice, uh, means, the Greek word there means uh, the goal. Uh, that God had in mind when he poured his love upon us is, is achieved. It's achieved totally. And so 
in the early part, John talks about to these, remember this broken church, this, this church with broken relationships, struggling? Remember uh, that in it all. And John's saying to them a lot in this little epistle, look, folks, God loves you. And the reason why he loves you is because he wants you to obey his commands. It's as simple as that, he's saying. And throughout this epistle, he's urging them to go back to the way they've been taught. Not to listen to the new ideas, the new heresies, but to go back to the basic truths that they had been taught. Because there and there only will they find peace and stability in their lives. And then the, the second one is found in chapter 4, verse 12. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. God's goal is accomplished. His goal is that we might love one another. And we spent all day last Sunday wandering through this whole concept of loving one another, walking the talk, and seeking to discover a little bit more the true intimacy and the closeness of fellowship involved in loving one another. It's not simply a, talk, a talking thing, it's an acting thing. And finally, the third theme is found in chapter 4, further down, verse, uh, verse, 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 what verse is that? Verse 16. God is love. Whoever, loves, whoever lives in love lives in God and God in him. In this way, love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. Third thing, confidence on the day of judgment. John has been exhorting them, urging them to obey God, urging them to love one another. And now he comes to comfort. He finishes off the letter by thinking perhaps to himself, well, you know, these, these, these dear believers, they need some comfort. And so the first 13 verses, I believe, allows us to look at three spiritual burdens that he mentions. And also, how to get rid of those spiritual burdens. And the first one is the burden of disobedience. Friends, make no mistake about it. For many Christians living in a hostile world today does involve some crushing burdens. We may not reveal that to anyone else but deep down in our hearts we cry before God we feel the despair almost the uncertainty and so forth and the spiritual journey will be filled with such burdens Christ told us that the world would hate us it would oppose us because it opposed and hated him and so it's not at all unnatural but some of us suffer from perhaps feelings of guilt or inadequacy to the point that they sometimes feel their spiritual life is a sham. Do you ever feel like that? I'll tell you, I do sometimes. And hardly worth going on with. Friends, I've got news for you this morning. You can lighten your burden. It's possible that many carry burdens today that simply don't belong to the spiritual journey. You've picked them up on the way without knowing, but they shouldn't be there. They don't need to be there. As John Smithson said once, 
Pain is mandatory, but misery is not, friends. And so let's look then how we can ease the pressure of at least four specific burdens that hamper us as we walk, as we seek to live for Christ in a hostile world. The burden of disobedience. The first three verses. Everyone who believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God and everyone who loves the Father loves his child as well. This is how we know that we love the children of God, by loving God and carrying out his commands. This is love for God, to obey his commands. Very clear, isn't it? Very specific. John tells us that the person who has truly come to faith in Jesus Christ is so radically changed that the only word picture which adequately describes the transformation is that of a new birth. A new birth. That's a glorious term. Everything is new when we first come to Jesus. We enter into a completely new dimension of life when he by his spirit comes and fills us. This is how the Bible insists that we enter into the spiritual journey. I wonder, have you entered into that journey yet? Not through church attendance. Not by getting religion. Not by trying to be good people. Not by reforming our moral life. But by being born again. New birth is the door into the spiritual journey. As Paul and uh, John insists in these opening verses. And these first three verses show us the remarkable interplay between our love for God and our love for other people. When Jesus was asked what the most important command of God was, he replied by saying, the most important command is to love God wholeheartedly. And the second is to love your neighbor as yourself. Friends, Loving one another is very closely related to loving God also. Verse 3. This is love for God to obey his commands. And friends, love is not something we talk about. I've mentioned this again and again. But love is keeping God's commands. Friends, obeying God's commands in today's world is not easy. It's very easy for a preacher to get up and sit down beside his Bible through the week and forget about life out there. It's, it's different from your study and your sanctified surroundings and, and your commentaries or whatever else you may use. Life out there is a struggle. I know that. As well. But you know, John says to these believers that in, in spite of the temptation and discouragement that they were facing, that keeping God's commands, in fact, is not burdensome. It is not burdensome. Verse 3, just keep that in your mind, friends, as you go into a new week. As you feel burdened down by seeking to obey, seeking to serve, seeking to be faithful, it ought not to be burdensome. 
There's something wrong in there. If you find it a burden. The word used for burden, some here, means heavy or crushing. And this is the word used when Jesus accused the religious leaders of his day of tying heavy legalistic burdens on people. This is also a word he used, the word he used when he said, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. For I am gentle and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Matthew 11. You see, John knows that disobedience to God's commands is a far more crushing wit than obedience is. And we don't realize that. As Dallas Willard has said, to depart from righteousness is to choose a life of crushing burdens, failures and disappointments. A life caught in the toils of endless problems that never really get solved. So here we find the first way to get rid of our spiritual journeys. We lighten the loads when we express our love for God by seeking to obey his commands. You got that guilty conscience of disobedience on you this morning? Of course it lays a burden upon your heart. Of course you feel a fraud. Of course you have identified yourself as a follower of Jesus and a lover of God. And yet you're not living the life. Friends, a simple prayer to God today to recommit to serve him will lift that burden. Joy and peace may well come back into your life if you do so. The second thing I want us to look at is the burden of discouragement in this hostile world in which we live. Again, the context of the letter, John's friends to whom he is writing are going through this difficult time. False teaching, breakdown in relationships, and so on. They're waving the white flag of surrender, as I mentioned last Sunday. The world system had beaten them down so far, they felt like giving up. Do you ever feel like that? Just the whole media output, the whole idea that surrounds us is so anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Gospel today, that, that you find as you swim against that stream, your arms are getting more and more tired. You're just getting fatigued about it all. And the thought of giving up enters your head. Let's just conform. Let's conform. And the burden of disencouragement. Friends, maybe you feel that. And yet God reminds us here that everyone who has been born into his family through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ are in fact overcomers. For everyone, verse 4, everyone born of God overcomes the world. Or if you like, has the capacity to overcome the world. To turn their backs upon the siren voices of the world. As they offer you so much and so often end up by giving you so little. The burden of discouragement. 
Now, friends, John's little church, our churches to whom he is writing, no doubt felt anything but overcomers. He reminds them that the basis of their victory is their faith in Jesus Christ. And he says, in this world you will have trouble. He quotes the words of Jesus in John 16. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world, said Jesus. Take heart, friends, if you're discouraged. Take heart if the worldview just seems so empty all that you believe. Jesus Christ has himself overcome the world, and in him you too can overcome. Christ conquered death, do you remember, that first Easter Sunday, didn't he? When he rose from the grave. And anyone who's conquered death can conquer anything, no matter how, how big, how important it seems to us. When we go back to our faith in Jesus, we see that this bond of trust in him enables us to see our circumstances for what they really are. We have a world out there with a different view, different system of thought, different philosophy, different aims, different ambitions from what we may have in Christ. But you know, the world out there so often is shallow and so often their promises are vain. And will let us down. So when we go back to our faith in Jesus. The one who conquered death. The one who rose from the dead. And is seated at God's right hand. The one who hears us when we pray. The one who cares for us. Who loves us. Who has brought so much peace and joy into our lives. When we consider that. When we go back to that. It enables us to see that our circumstances are perhaps not quite so discouraging. As we thought they were. In Christ we trust. And friends, in the world, if we have any sense, we will not entirely trust anything that they offer us. Back to Jesus, the one who has overcome the world. And you know, this going back to Jesus, this faith in Jesus isn't pie in the sky. It's not wishful thinking. But it's a sturdy and unshakable confidence placed in the risen Son of God who conquered death itself. And I think here of Hebrews, if I could just pause to bring it to you. Hebrews 12, 2 and 3. Listen to this. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus if we're discouraged or burdened. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Friends, I said earlier, two weeks ago, that Jesus Christ is a living historical figure. He is not the imagination of some theologian somewhere. He lived and is recorded as living and dying. Rising from the dead. These are the facts. And we're discouraged in this hostile world. Let's go back to the facts. And let's renew our acceptance of the Lordship of Jesus Christ, the living one. And that burden will become something else. We'll begin to overcome. Thirdly, 
The burden of conflicting claims. The burden of conflicting claims. Verses 5 to 9. Let me read these verses to you. and They've been described perhaps as some of the, the most bewildering verses to understand. But, uh, not that I'm a genius in, in working them out, but are they really so difficult? Let's just read them for a moment. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. It's only the true believer that will overcome the world and its principles and its system. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And we'll not take time to read the other verses there. Friends, Many of the people who had once been part of the church to whom John had writing had abandoned the biblical understanding of Jesus for a supposedly improved view of him. That's no surprise, that still happens today. People abandon what they call now the traditional Christian and his views. And they move on to an improved version. And a version where, where, where this new Jesus will accept virtually anything that the world wants to do and enjoy without a guilty conscience. And it was the same in those days. These people were about to make life easier for themselves. And they were about to question who Jesus really was. And this leads John to clarify what he's talking about. That he's talking about the Jesus who came by water and the blood. Verse 6. The water probably describes the baptism of Jesus. Because in all four Gospels, uh, there the baptism of Jesus is seen as the commencement of his ministry. Very important moment. And of course the blood refers to his death on the cross. Because that was the end of his earthly ministry. And it was the idea that Jesus was a man of flesh and blood that these false teachers rejected. They couldn't accept it. Flesh and blood was seen by them to be evil. And therefore they said, Jesus as Son of God could only have been a spirit. I touched upon this two weeks ago. It's appearing again. This purely spiritual form, they said, came to him at his baptism and left him as he hung on the cross just before he died. But John is insisting that you can't separate the Jesus from the Christ. The name Jesus describes the Son of God's full humanity. One who was like us yet without our sin, one who understands us, one who intercedes on our behalf before the Father. Listen, friends, there is nobody, no one, understands you like Jesus does. Not even the one you love the most on this earth, on this earth. No one understands like he does. He took human flesh. He lived amongst us. He is aware of the temptations. He is aware of the burdens. He is aware of the difficulties. And he stands there. He sits there to help, to strengthen, to reassure, to reconfirm. The title Jesus talks about his humanity. The title Christ describes his full divinity. And the two natures, his humanity and his divinity, as Christians believe, are forever joined together in this one person. Fully human, yet fully divine. 
And here we find the third way to lighten our load, to lighten our burdens. We do so by rejecting conflicting claims about Jesus Christ and instead receiving God's testimony about him. Now today in this hostile world, maybe you believe it's not a hostile world, I find it so. Today there are many conflicting claims about who Jesus really is. The Muslims, of course, are claim that Jesus was a great prophet, but most certainly was not God's son. Jehovah's Witnesses claim he's not divine. In the beginning was the word, and the word was a God, they say, in the Greek. And he was just one of many. He was not the specific son of God. The Mormons tell us that he is the brother, the spirit brother of Lucifer, whatever that means. And all these conflicting claims can paralyze you and I as to what to do, to what to believe, to where to go. So God, through John, invites us to receive his testimony about Jesus, his life, his death, as it's recorded by the Spirit of God in the Bible. Verse 9 again. We accept man's testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it is the testimony of God which he has given about his Son. In the midst of a confused and bewildered world, then, we can find security of belief, we can lighten the burden of of, uh, discouragement and doubt, by receiving God's testimony about his son. Charles Haddon Spurgeon said this, I would recommend you either believe God up to the hilt or else not to believe at all. Because in between, it's a nowhere land. And that's the whole secret of Christianity. That's why it has never really begun to buzz in you because you're, you're sitting on the fence. You have it intellectually up here, but you've never surrendered and discovered the true depth of living in Christ up to the hills. I've always, I was converted at 18, and I had the enthusiasm of youth in those days, and this, this appealed to me more than anything. Jesus does not want also rans to follow him. Do you remember the word? And many went away and left him when things got tough. Tell me, when persecution really hits the province of Ulster, where will you be? And you find your friends in jail doing two, three weeks for having talked about Jesus Christ in a public place. Where will your stand be? I don't want to go on. I don't want to frighten. I don't want to. But that's the way we're heading. Christianity is seen as not a joy. Not a thrill as it was in the 17th, 18th century. A reforming thing that transformed the whole face of England. Through Wilberforce, rid of that evil of slavery. Christianity is not seen as that power for good today. It's seen as a power for almost evil. Where will you stand when you're tested? Friends, if you want to believe in Jesus, believe him up to the hilts, is my advice from an oldish guy. Not all that many years, Nigel. 
an oldish guy. Listen, give him everything now. Because if you don't, you'll miss the true jewels, the true joy, the true point of being a believer. That is being filled with his spirit. Right. I must finish. The next one to finish off with is the burden of uncertainty. And that's our closing verses of our passage. Verse 10 to 13. Anyone who believes in the Son of God has this testimony in his heart. Anyone who does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because he has not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life. And this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. You're not sure? Maybe you need to go back and start again. By opening up your heart and repenting of your selfish lifestyle. And inviting him to come in by the power of his spirit to renew you. But you know many of us are not sure over many things in the Christian life. When we trust our lives to the Jesus of the Bible. Fully fully human and fully God as we have seen. Then our heavenly father gives us what is called eternal life. We word about this. As we finish. Eternal life isn't just something reserved for heaven. You know, pie in the sky. Eternal life isn't that. It's, it's not just harps and halos. But it's something we can experience right now. Right now. We can know this quality of life that's so far beyond what the word offers in our own lives. You see, eternal life isn't just living forever. I've often heard people say, oh, well, I, I wouldn't want to go to heaven and live forever. That would be absolutely dreadful. Live forever, ever, and ever, and ever. They're thinking in terms of this life. Dragging on with all its problems and difficulties and questions and boredom. No, no. Eternal life isn't simply life that goes on forever. It's this quality of life that springs out of an intimate relationship with God himself. And God offers people the possibility of eternal life right now. To know him today in the midst of our problems, our broken relationships and our burdens. And so Paul John reminds this early church, friends, start again. God is love. He wants you to obey his commands. But he wants you to stand when that day comes before God. With a clear conscience and with joy in your heart as you await the revelation of Jesus Christ. As he comes to you and welcomes you into his presence. Many religious groups that claim to be Christian today will tell you that eternal life is a reward reserved for really good people at the end of their days. The Mormon Mormon Bible tells us if we keep 
his commands and endure to the end, you will then have eternal life. Missing the point. The Jehovah's Witnesses teach that eternal life comes after a person dies and it's based on how faithful they are throughout their life. And for these people, you see, eternal life is nothing more than a dim hope, a vague possibility if if they keep their noses to the grindstone of their religion. But that's not the Christian religion. When you come to Jesus and surrender to him and he comes in you begin instantly to experience this quality of new life in your hearts that will of course bloom into even more wonderful life when all the problems and doubts and discouragements of this world are put behind us friends we don't have to hope for this life We don't have to wish. We don't have to surmise. John tells us we have it. We have it. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God so that you may know that you have eternal life. The Bible teaches we don't have to wait. What about you? Do you know where you stand for God? Have you put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? You can't earn it. Like the rest of us, we will never deserve it. It's a gift of God's love and grace. You see, when a person works an eight-hour day and receives a fair day's pay for his time, that's called a wage, isn't it? When a person competes with an opponent and receives a trophy for its performance, that's called a prize. When a person receives appropriate recognition for his long service or high achievements, that's called an award. But when a person is incapable of earning a wage, can can win no prize and deserves no award, yet receives such a gift anyway, that is a good picture of God's unmerited favor towards us. This is what we mean when we talk about the grace of God. Well, I've said all I want to say this morning. May God bless us to recommit, to shed those burdens which are making us miserable when we shouldn't be miserable as Christians, and to trust in him. And to enjoy more and more this eternal, this quality of life that he is offering us. And we're only touching upon because of our hesitation and our lack of total commitment. May God bless us. Amen.